We've been studying the Gospel of John. And right now we are at the, the end portion of chapter 3 of this Gospel. And what we have studied just uh, before this section was the narrative about Nicodemus, who was one of the high elite religious ruler. He visited Jesus, and, uh, and uh, in his conversation with Jesus, Jesus brought up the topic of being born again, how to be born again. And then, of course, Jesus gives this somewhat lengthy of a discourse, um, and he basically says that uh, you cannot be born again or regenerated on your own power. It has to be something that God does. God the Spirit like the wind. God the Holy Spirit sometimes like water with a cleansing power. Only by the work of the Spirit of God can you be born again or regenerated. Well then, what can we do? If God does it, how can we be saved? What must we do to be saved? And there is a condition that is placed upon us. If God wants to pour out His grace unto us, He says, I am going to save you, and I want to pour out the grace, what is the best way to respond to that grace? It's called faith. Faith is nothing more than simply opening your mind's and heart's uh, door and saying, I receive what you're about to grant unto me. And that's why in John 3.16, the famous text it says that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever would believe in Him shall have eternal life, will not perish. Okay? And starting next week, well, no, two weeks from now, I'll be touching upon another narrative that we find in chapter 4. In this narrative, Jesus encounters this one particular Samaritan woman. It's a very famous narrative. And there also Jesus enters into another dialogue about the need of receiving the Holy Spirit. Experiencing God in that intimacy. And so what we have in this section between these two narratives and between these two great discourses of Jesus, we have verses 22 to 30 in chapter 3. And interesting thing is that this narrative and small discourse that we will be studying, small portion of discourse that we'll be studying, has to do with John the Baptist. And you know, uh, theologians and scholars might think this is a regression. Why talk about John the Baptist? I thought we dealt with him. He's gone now. Jesus comes on the scene. And, and briefly, John the Baptist emerges once again before he disappears on the scene, according to the Gospel of John. But I think it's a perfect prelude to everything that is about to happen. Let me tell you why. And I've been thinking about this. I said, how can I outline this message? Because I'm going to preach twice on this section. Today I will deal with verses 22 to 30. 30 but next week I will take the text from verse 31 to 36. And I was thinking about the title. And how can I title this so that it will really make sense and make the connection for the rest of the narratives and discourses that we will be studying. And I came up with a kind of catchy title. I like catchy titles. You know? 
And I, I like them to be sort of a small series, even two back to back. I always love to work with pairs. Okay. But of course, I love, I love the long series. If I could preach a series of messages, that's the best. But here is a short series in two parts, A and B. Today, I've titled the message, Humility from Below. Could you repeat after me? Humility from Below. What do you think the next week's title is going to be? What is it? Humility from above. Humility from, okay. It's authority from above. I want you to show that the yang side of the yin that we'll be dealing with today. Okay. Now, why did I title it this way? Because in my mind, I'm very much engrossed with the teaching of John Calvin, the great reformer. And in John Calvin's classic book, the masterpiece called The Institutes of the Christian Religion, 기독교 강요라는 책에, John Calvin, 종교 개혁자는 이런 말을 했습니다. He said, true and sound wisdom is comprised of two parts. True and sound wisdom is comprised of two parts. 참되고 건전한 지혜는 두 부분으로 이루어진다. 그것이 무엇이냐? Then he said, first part is that of the knowledge of God. 하나님을 아는 것. Second part, he says, is knowing ourselves. 우리 자신을 아는 것. 이게 다다. 하나님을 제대로 알고 내 자신을 제대로 알면 모든 것을 해결할 수 있는 풍부한 지혜가 생긴다. You will have wisdom that will just overflow in all of your lives, in your relationship, in handling situations in life, making difficult decisions, fighting against temptations. John Calvin began his institutes with this statement. How wise. That's like Socrates. You know, his, his famous statement, know thyself. But John Calvin was very familiar with Socrates. I think it's his own version, a maxim, a statement. He says, know God and know self. And so I figured, well, this text, verses 22 through 36, would be a perfect way of presenting the two sides. One is the aspect of how we should relate to God. That's why I've entitled it Humility from Below. And next week, it's about who He is and why He operates the way He operates. Authority from above. Is that okay with you? I know this was a lengthy introduction, but the rest of the message is quite short. If you understand all the context and what's surrounding this, what I'm about to share with you today, then it'll be easy. It'll be an easy reading and it'll be an inspirational thing for all of us. So let's begin today. The first portion, titled Humility from Below. 아래에서부터의 겸손. 요한복음 3장 22절부터 30절입니다. Let's read in English first and then we read it out loud in Korean together. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anan near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. 
an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. 이제 한국어로 함께 읽겠습니다. 그 후에 예수께서 제자들과 유대 땅으로 가서 거기 함께 유하시며 세례를 베푸시더라. 요한도 살렘 가까운 에논에서 세례를 베푸니 거기 물이 많으니라. 그러므로 사람들이 와서 세례를 받더라. 요한이 아직 옥에 갇히지 아니하였더라. 이에 요한의 제자 중에서 한 유대인과 더불어 정결 예식에 대하여 변론이 되었더니 그들이 요한에게 가서 이르되 라비어 선생님과 함께 요단강 건너편에 있던 이곳 선생님이 증언하시던 이가 세례를 베풀매 사람이 다 그에게로 가더이다. 요한이 대답하여 이르되 만일 하늘에서 주신 바 아니면 사람이 아무것도 받을 수 없느니라. 내가 말한 바 나는 그리스도가 아니요 그의 앞에 보내심을 받은 자라고 한 것을 증언할 자는 너희니라. 신부를 취하는 자는 신랑이나 서서 신랑의 음성을 듣는 친구가 크게 기뻐하느니 나는 이러한 기쁨으로 충만하여노라. 그는 흥하여야 하겠고 나는 쇠하여야 하리라 하니라. 아멘. Here we see that based upon the information shared by his disciples, John the Baptist is kind of forced to compare his ministry with that of Jesus' ministry. Now John the Baptist had acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. And he's going to hand the baton over to this man. And yet he had his own group of disciples. Now you must understand, this is not an issue between John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. This was an issue between John the Baptist's group and Jesus Christ's group. But you need to understand that in chapter 1, we studied that two of his disciples already left him. And he was basically urging the rest of the disciples, go follow. This, this is the one that I've been pointing out. But obviously, some of them didn't want to follow. They liked John the Baptist. They were loyal and faithful to John the Baptist. And so they had already lost Andrew and the other disciple who's not mentioned, but we believe that is the author, John, the apostle. They already went. And they know that they're going to shrink in number because Jesus is getting more and more popular, baptizing people, and people are flocking to him. And so the disciples came to John the Baptist and said, Teacher, Rabbi, what are we going to do? Our ministry is shrinking. Our ministry is going to die off like that. We have this competition from the other side. Well, you could imagine that if John the Baptist was not in the proper state of heart, that kind of comparison can do something that here turn envious and jealous, 
even about the very Messiah that he had pointed out. This causes me to really ponder and think deeply about the problems that we as Christians face today in the 21st century, especially in Korea. And I believe all over the world too. Because this kind of issue is a real bottom line issue for all of us. Now, John the Baptist comparing himself to the Messiah, the Son of God. We're barely comparing ourselves to others who may be above us, who may have a little more, or who may be a little more popular. But it doesn't really matter. Because if we understand what John the Baptist is going through in his relationship with Jesus and how he saw Jesus, if we understand that, then I think we can apply the same principle in our relationship with anybody who is above us. Anybody who may seem to have more, who may be a little more popular, who may be a little more fruitful and productive in their ways. What is the problem with the Korean church? I know I don't want to sound dogmatic about it. I don't know. I haven't seen the whole of Korean church. But I think one of the problems that I see, one of the symptomatic problems that I see in the Korean church is that we are so engaged in comparing ourselves with others. 비교심. 비교심이 너무 심각해요. 우리 한국 교회만이 아니라 한국 사회. Maybe that's why the church has simply embraced this mentality of comparing ourselves with others. Everything in Korean society is about comparing. So who has most recent upgraded version of you know, smartphone? Whose screen is a little bigger? Whose car is a little more fancier? Whose house apartment 평수가 조금 더 많은 집인가? Who's a little more beautiful, a little more attractive, a little more stronger and more buff? Always comparing. It happens all the time in the churches. I, I hang around pastors and theologians, but even in our circles, pastors are, who has more members? Who makes more money? Who gets more support? Who has a bigger building? Who has more pastor staff? Theologians are always comparing. How many articles and theses have I written? How many books have I published? How many PhDs do I have? And from what school? This society forces us to compare ourselves instead of just allowing us to be, to breathe and have our beings as natural creatures with value and dignity. The society does not leave us alone. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It compares us with someone. It forces us to compare ourselves with someone. 계속 비교를 하다 보면 은근히 어떻게 하게 돼요? That's the next C. Today I'm going to give you three C's. Three C problems we have. Comparison, which leads to competition. 비교심과 경쟁심. 몇번 관계가 있다고 생각합니다. You don't want to compete. I, I really don't want to compete. I have never really believed in competition except competing with myself. But hey, the reality is you have to compete with others in order to be acknowledged and respected. So you compete. And so you gain a little more edge and 
you get a little more higher in your status, guess what? You may beat someone who is a little below you. You always have someone who's above you. It's endless, vicious cycle of competition. You beat this guy, you think you'll be happy? Wow, I'm the king of the jungle now. I'm at the height of the, the mountain. Well, that's just a small peak compared to the next peak you're going to have to climb and compete for. That's the problem. Comparison leads to competition. But the, I think the real bottom line is really a sinful problem. And that is a sinfulness of covetousness. And this is the final commandment. I wonder why uh, the Lord gave us this as the final commandment. Not to engage in. Do not be covetous of what others have. In other words, don't compare, don't compete, don't have a desire to want that simply because others have that. Then what is the solution? What is the remedy? It's another C, but I think it, this thing will wipe out all the other C's preceding it. And that is contentment. Could you repeat after me? Contentment. Now, you should be able to memorize this. You don't even have to take notes. Comparison leads to competition. And the real bottom line issue is covetousness, which is sin. You know why it's sin? Because what you're doing when you're coveting something that belongs to others is you're basically complaining to God, saying, I'm not satisfied with what you've given me. I'm not satisfied with the way you made me. I'm not satisfied with your authority and sovereignty over my life. And that's why I have to go and get it. If not, you're not going to take care of me. It's a, it's a sign of distrust. And that's why it's sin. And besides, by having that kind of mentality, you have to shortchange other people. To have your own gain, you've got to somehow cheat other people. You have to you know, let them lose out so that you can gain. So what is the solution? What is the Bible remedy regarding this problem of comparison, competition, and competition? It's contentment. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Contentment. Apostle Paul says, I've learned to be content whether I have or have not. In plenty or in poverty, I've learned contentment. Jesus, of course, always talked about contentment and trusting God about everything. Why do you worry about what to eat, what to drink, what to wear, and what you have? Can't you trust God? He will take care of the birds in the field and the, and the flowers and lilies in the field. Why can't you trust God like that? And of course, John the Baptist. He's obviously a man who's learned to die to all these things and be content. And that's why he could make these statements, which we are going to briefly Touch upon. In verse 27, he says, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. What is he saying? He's saying everything is under God's control. Everything's in his will. And all we can do is submit to his sovereignty. 
Where are you right now? Where am I right now? What's my status? What's my asset? What is it that I own? What is it mine? Am I complaining because of something that I don't have, maybe others have? Am I jealous and envious of others who seem to succeed and run a little faster and farther than me? And John the Baptist answers this. Whatever that we have received, whatever that is given to us, and whatever is given to others even more, is the will of heaven. It is the will of God. So what can we do about it? We need to surrender. We need to submit to that reality. I as a pastor also, you know, am constantly plagued when I'm surrounded by others. If, if no one talks to me, I'm fine. In my own quiet meditation before God, you know, my small church, my, my just precious few individuals. But when I go out of here, the first question that I encounter is after they realize that I, I was part of a church planting team and, and doing this kind of ministry, they say, how big is your church? Where do you gather? Well, do you have a building? Do you have a staff that you're paying? And yes, these people have more, obviously. But what should be my attitude about these people who have more, who seem to bask in the glory of God's riches regarding their ministries? I must surrender to the reality that what they have is given by God to them. Now, sometimes I feel like it's unjust because Pastors, sometimes not very good character pastors, tend to have all that wealth. Are really good-hearted pastors that I know who are out in the boondocks, out in the you know, countryside, out in the streets suffering like crazy, or sometimes in the world, out there in the mission field. They're really good people. They're not having that kind of privilege. What must we do? whether it's just or unjust, because God is sovereign, He's placed them there. And some of them are going to come down, because God's going to pull them down. Because their sins are going to pile up, and the judgment is looming over their heads. But some, believe it or not, God is going to establish them to the end. What kind of attitude should I have? God's will be done. That's the first attitude. When you learn surrender, then you will find peace. When you cannot surrender, you're trying to hold on, you're trying to get at, you're, you're always grasping for things. And that's going to cause tension, and that's going to cause stress, and that might even contribute to your cancer. <laughs> cancer, stress, grasping, wanting. Then John the Baptist says these words in verse 28. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. 내가 말한 바 나는 그리스도가 아니요. 
그의 앞에 보내심을 받은 자라고 한 것을 증언할 자는 너입니다. What he's saying is, I found my place. This is what I'm called to do. I'm not the Messiah. I shouldn't be envious of the Messiah. I shouldn't be envious of someone who's going ahead of me. That's not my turf. That's not my territory. There are so many people in this world, they are doing the things that they should not be doing because God had not placed them there. And yet, because of their envy, because of their jealousy, because of their competitive spirit, they're going for it and they are not satisfied with that. They're unhappy in that place. But John the Baptist have learned contentment. He says, I've learned to just appreciate the given, which is my place, to introduce the Messiah. Being faithful in the given place until God moves us into another place, until God promotes us, until God clearly shows us that this is a whole new chapter in your life is a very important thing. We have to learn faithfulness in the given things. Sometimes I see, even in small church settings, people see or are exposed to the bigger things out there, and they're constantly comparing. Oh, our church is like that. There's bigger churches. Our pastors like that. But there's, wow, more fantastic pastors. Oh, there are more oh, beautiful people out there. But what if we trust the Lord and just say, what is given to me in this season and time? I'm going to learn to be content with that. And I'll be faithful in that. And isn't that what John the Baptist did? He was faithful in that given position. Third thing, I think this is perhaps the most important thing. And that is what we're waiting and what we are being faithful in the given things, what we are surrendering all things, what should we do? We should truly enjoy the, the presence of the Lord. It's not just the empty waiting. It's not just waiting, 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 and just dreary worrying, waiting, but it's rather focusing on the presence of the Lord, enjoying Him, truly enjoying Him. John the Baptist says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. You know, I've learned contentment to a degree. I know I'm dealing with certain areas in my life that tends to compare, compete, and be covetous. And I haven't found contentment in those areas. But when I compare, well, this is a good comparison, by the way. When I compare the state of contentment that I have versus the state of discontentment, I see the real key to that, and that is learning to enjoy the presence of the Lord. Wherever I am, whatever I'm given, in the present moment. In other words, wherever we are, we need to invest in that moment and bring Jesus into the picture. Because if you have Jesus in that picture, I tell you, it's heaven. You may be the poorest man on earth, and you, you may be homeless, and you may be scrounging for food. And I've been homeless a few times in my life. I've, I've spent actually a few nights in my own car because I didn't have a place to sleep. And when you find yourself in a situation, if you have 
presence of Jesus and the joy of the Lord with you is heaven. Your homeless state is heavenly state. Your, your hunger and your thirst for stuff will be filled with His presence. I guarantee it. But the final word that John the Baptist gives us is I think it should be pretty much engraved somewhere in your house or at least engraved in your heart and in your mind. This is a famous statement, sort of like a maxim. He must become greater and I must become less. Is that the way we operate as Christians? Is that the way we operate as Christian ministers? I wonder. Is that the way Daniel Kim is operating? Perhaps let's reverse that. Perhaps I want to become greater and so I have to take advantage of the Lord's name and exploit all that I can from Him and His glory gets shaded while my glory gets magnified. Isn't that what usually happens to Christian leaders with ambition? Ego and covetousness? But what must I aim for? According to John the Baptist, I must aim for it so that he must become greater. And if I become even lesser, if I even become a shadow and let his light shine, so be it. So let it happen. 그는 흥하여 하겠고 나는 슬하여야 하리라 하니라. This is not an easy thing. It's not an easy sermon for me to preach because the moment I preach this, I know all this week I'm going to be plagued with, oh my God, I just preached that last week. Look at what I'm doing now. Look at my attitude, man. Look at me comparing, you know, coveting and, and you know, competing and you know, having all these ambitious problems. But it's the word. One thing I learned as a servant of God is it doesn't matter how I feel. Where I am, I must proclaim the word and I must conform to the word. And if this is the truth, this is the word, then I must head towards it. And that is, he must become greater and I must become less. Now you might say, wow, of course, Jesus is God. How can we not give him all the glory and honor? But what if Jesus says, apply this in your relationship with others around you? And he says, well... Can you make other people greater while you become lesser? Can you do that? Can I make other ministers greater and I become lesser in the process? Can you do that? Can I make other theologians look brilliant and I dwell in the shadow? Could I be able to do that? But this is the principle that Jesus has been teaching all throughout the gospel. The one who wants to be the first must become the last. The one who wants to lead must be the servant of them all. This is not just comparing ourselves to God, but comparing ourselves to anybody that God has established over us or granted them much more privileges, much more resources, whoever they may, may be. Can I rejoice with the Lord regarding this? So it's a choice. 
And next week, I'll be talking about Jesus' place, that he's from above, and he has all the right to exercise his authority upon us. But today, I want you to make the point that we are below. And because we are below, we must stay humble. Now, people get wrong ideas, and they think, well, maybe I'm a little more than that. I'm not below. Maybe I am from above, or I should be above. That's when we fall into the danger of comparing and competing, trying to run this rat race. And as someone greatly said, no matter how fast you run the rat race and even win the rat race, you're still a rat in nature. So knowing your position, knowing where you are, knowing where God has placed you, that's the important thing. If you know that, then you'll know where he is, and you'll know how he has situated everyone else around you. And that's why John Calvin said, true and sound wisdom is none other than knowing God, where he is, what he is, who he is, and knowing yourself. And I don't think he's talking about just your sense of identity. I think he's talking about your position, your status, perhaps even lack of your resources. God knows you don't have much, but that's where you are. Stay there. Be faithful with what is granted unto you until God raises you and elevates you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this amazing teaching by John the Baptist. We realize that if John the Baptist, who is just human, can come to this conclusion, as his disciples try to get him to have a sense of competition with Jesus, your team, John the Baptist refused to play the game. And he was willing to surrender all things to God's will. He was willing to be faithful in his given place. He was willing to just focus on the Lord's glory, Lord's presence. And he was willing to deny himself, to lower himself, and trust God all the way so that God be glorified and others around him be glorified at his expense. And that is the way of the kingdom of God. Because Lord, you have said to us, if you're to come after me, then you must deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. Teach us this way, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.